pastored at Sunnyside for almost 30 years as associate pastor there. And uh, I've been around long enough that some of you in this room were teens when I was doing youth work. And that's how I got to know Dan. We were doing, I was doing youth work at Sunnyside. He was doing youth work here. And uh, yeah, just been in the Ottawa area for a long time. Uh, yeah, I said I'm your neighbor. I, we live just on the corner of Prince of Wales and Cochar, just down the road a bit. So that's, that's about 20 miles. But, um, but we're country neighbors. But yeah, I'm really happy to be here. And, uh, and I think, you know, I know Pastor Dan's not here, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's watching. So, so you can just be aware of that. And if that affects any of your behavior, just, <laughs> yeah, just be mindful of that. Uh, this Sunday, we are, it's Trinity Sunday. I know you guys have been kind of working your way through the lectionary a little bit. And this is a Sunday in the church calendar where we acknowledge the Trinity, that the fact that the Trinity is God, three persons, God is one, God is three persons, and the mystery of it. And, and it's kind of alluded to in the Bible. There's not too many passages where it says, you know, there is, a, there is no passage that says there's a Trinity, but there's several passages that say, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this passage we're going to look at today is Romans 5, 1 to 5, and we see the three persons of the Trinity in this passage. There's also, you're starting, but Dan told me, a new series on intervention. And, um, you know, intervention is, is when someone kind of steps up and steps in, right, to stop something from happening. And I'm, I'm not sure where he's going with this series, but in this passage in Romans that we're going to look at as well, we see God's greatest intervention of all time. And uh, this passage talks about it. So I want to work, tie in this morning the work of the Trinity, God's intervention. And yet in the middle of this passage, there's a, a little bit of a thing that takes me back. So why don't we read it at Romans 5, 1 to 5. And if you've got your Bibles or your phones uh, or whatever device you may be using, this is what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Lord, would you just bless the reading of your word, and just as we look at it now, speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit, and just draw us more into your character and your likeness, and into the fullness of the hope that we have in you, in your love. Read this scripture, it makes me feel a little bit like a, it's a bit of a roller coaster. It starts high and then it ducks down and then it goes back up again. Uh, it's almost like, you know, when you're sitting on a chair and you lean back and just as the last second before you fall over, you catch yourself. That's what it feels like reading this passage for me this week as I was wrestling with it. Right, because the first two verses, it's like, this is, this is such a high. Therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. 
We have access to faith and to grace, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Like, this is, this is excellent. This is God's greatest in, intervention of all time. If you read a little bit in chapter 4 before this, right? Anytime you see a therefore, you wonder why it's there for. And so I had to go back and look in, in chapter 4. And Paul is giving the Romans the story of Abraham. How God had promised Abraham an heir. And that out of Abraham would come many nations. Right? And Abraham would glorify God. So Abraham had that promise when he was younger. And, and he and his wife, uh, Sarah, but it wasn't until after he was 100 years old that God fulfilled that promise. And yet, but God did fulfill it. And Abraham trusted God and hung on to God. And that was credited him as righteousness. And Paul's kind of laying this out. And so now he's telling the Roman church here is that God promised Abraham a son and gave him a son. God has given us so much more because he's given us his son, Jesus. And because of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, we are no longer uh, bound by our sin. We are no longer separated from God by our sin. We have this, God has intervened into history and the human condition. And now we have been made right with God because of Jesus. We have peace with God, right? Because of sin, we have been broken in our relationship with God, with our relationship with ourselves, our relationships with each other, relationship with the earth. And God, because of Jesus, has overcome all that. We can have peace and wholeness and holiness because of what Christ has done. So this is what Paul is driving home to the Roman church. And then we get to verse 3. And this is the coming down of the roller coaster. And I was just like, as I read this, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. I was just like, what? What are, you, what are you trying to say here, Paul? All right, does, does anyone here enjoy, rejoice, enjoy suffering? If you do, we'll be praying afterwards after the service over here. You know, I think we've all experienced suffering in different ways. We've all, some of you probably are going some through some very difficult things. In the past couple of years, I think we've all had some sort of suffering. And Paul is saying rejoice in suffering to this Roman church. You know, rejoicing is, is the idea of there's a sense of joy. And we express that joy in some way. Some people dance, some people um, make noise. You know, here in North America, we don't really tend to rejoice too boisterously. Maybe at a sporting event, we might, you know, come up out of our seats and yell and cheer, but... Maybe the odd Welsh person might be a bit more boisterous. But uh, I was at a, um, a Lebanese bakery in town one time, getting, going in to get a cake. And uh, as I was going in the store, there was a minivan with a family that seemed to be there from the Mediterranean somewhere. And the dad came out of the door as I was going in, and he had this box of pastries. And the whole van just erupted with la 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 la, and I was like, "Wow!" Like just like I was, I was surprised. I was taken off guard, and it's like, "That's rejoicing." Like, 
I would never do that. I mean, I'm happy when I get pastries, but I kind of keep it to myself, right? And, but this rejoicing, so, so Paul's wanting us to rejoice while we're suffering. What is, what's going on here? And I mean, we all suffer in different ways, and there's different kinds of suffering. And suffering kind of points out to us that something is not right. Suffering's not from God. Suffering means that something is, is, is not as it should be, right? Something is not right. And because of sin... And because of our brokenness, there's suffering. But it, suffering can change our perspective and correct it and make us focus on what is important. But what is, like Paul's writing to the Roman church here, and they know suffering. They're being persecuted for their faith. They're facing financial hardships. They're facing you know, difficult poverty and, and health conditions. The whole thing, Paul knows what's going on in their context, and he knows they're suffering. And he's telling them to rejoice. And some, uh, some versions of this passage say, you know, boast, boast in your sufferings. Like, can you imagine, you know, Freddie, Steady, and Eddie, they're down at no-go coffee, and they're standing outside there, and, you know, they're boasting in their suffering? You know, Freddie says, well, my arthritis is terrible today. It's, it's just, it's so painful. You know, instead he might say, well, my gout is acting up and, and it's, you know, it's so bad and he's just boasting about it. And then Eddie might say, well, my mother-in-law just moved in and she's going to stay with us for the next two years. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? Is that what Paul's getting at here? Is that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to boast or rejoice in our suffering? It's, so I was like... You want us to do what, Paul? We have the greatest intervention of God at all times, and you want us to do what? Is this kind of the greatest case of toxic positivity ever? Is Paul like wanting us just to minimize our sufferings and ignore them and, and just rejoice in them? And toxic positivity is kind of the idea where you just minimize, you're happy about everything, nothing, you, you don't want to acknowledge your pain and suffering. It invalidates it and makes it inauthentic. But Paul knows something about suffering. Paul's experienced a great deal of suffering in his life. He's somewhat of an expert in it. And in 2 Corinthians 11, I'm not going to read it, but there's like a laundry list of things he's gone through. He's been imprisoned. He's been flogged several times. He's been shipwrecked. Uh, he's been robbed. He's been uh, had to escape from people wanting to kill him several times. He's been gone. He's known hunger and cold and sleepless nights. Paul knows what it is to suffer. He knows what the church in Rome is going through. And Paul kind of practices what he preaches. In Acts 16, we read about Paul and Silas when they were uh, on one of their journeys and they healed a demon-possessed woman and kind of you know, interrupted the, the money, the riches that a man was making off this woman who was possessed. And so they got beaten and put in jail. And it says they were beaten severely. But while they're in jail, they start worshiping and praying. And God sends an earthquake, 
and they escape, right? They don't escape, but they, the jailer lets them go. And the jailer and his whole family come to know Christ. So Paul knows what he's talking about. But I think what Paul is, is doing here when he says this, he's not trying to minimize suffering and what we experience and the pain we experience. Paul is trying to maximize the impact of the gospel of God's greatest intervention in our lives. The gift that we have in Jesus is so great and the hope that we have in, in being restored to him and the access to God and the hope of life now and eternal life that even in the midst of pain and suffering we can hang on to that and rejoice in that. So we don't rejoice necessarily in the fact that we are suffering, but we rejoice, we can rejoice while we are suffering. Right? Suffering, again, is not something, it's a sign that something's wrong. But we can rejoice because God is, is reminding us that he's intervening. He's making all things new, and we have this hope in him. It's like a, an echo from heaven in some ways. It's a bit of a reverse, reverse echo. This life is, God is calling us to our fullness of life in him and the hope we have in him. And so we can be confident in the hope that we have. And, and so what does that mean? How does that help me in my suffering? I don't know about you, but when I'm suffering or I'm in pain, I want relief. I, I want to know at least why this is happening. But Paul is trying to remind us that it doesn't matter that, no, it does matter, but that we have something more to look forward to because of Jesus and God's greatest intervention. We can be confident. And so as we read on in the passage, we see kind of going up, back up to the roller coaster. What Paul wants us to know is that nothing now will ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing will ever, our circumstances, our pain, the worst kind of despair we've been in will ever separate us from God. And we read that in 8. Paul kind of goes on and he's kind of building up to this in the, in the book of Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the good news. This is God's greatest intervention. And Paul wants the weight of that, the full impact of that for the Roman church to realize that in spite of circumstances, nothing will ever separate us from God's love. We are not defined by our circumstances, by our plight. We're not left there. God has delivered us. So how does that help me now? How does that help me when I'm 
in pain or I'm suffering and I want relief and I want to know why. Well, Paul goes on in the next two verses, in verses 4 and 5, and kind of that our suffering is not in vain. When we are suffering, we can learn endurance. Right? The saying goes, whatever doesn't kill you makes you... Right. Right? I wonder if this is where it comes from, but the idea that as we learn to endure, we become stronger, we become more resilient. That in the midst of our pain, uh, we can become more desperate, we may become, have our focus reshifted because it's all, all of a sudden realize what's important and what's not. And the distractions of this life kind of aren't as important. But we learn to endure. We learn to bear. And that endurance, Paul says, then leads us to uh, not only becoming more resilient, but it matures us and deepens our character. And character is the idea of, of being steadfast and that um, we are grounded in who we are. And this character is being grounded and being more like Christ. And so that the storms of life, while they impact us, they don't sway us. And we aren't given over to our fear and anxiety or despair. We, we experience these things, but our character... It's, whole, it's steadfast because it holds true to the hope we have. The character leads us into hope. That character knows that the hope we have is a certainty. That God will not disappoint. We can rely on that hope. As, as Abraham hoped, and for over you know, most of his life, it wasn't well until he was beyond, and he was well into old age, God gave him a son. We have Jesus, and we know that our hope won't disappoint us. And as we grow in that hope and the certainty of it, we begin to know and experience the love of God in a deeper way, in a more tangible way in our lives. That God has lifted us out of our separation from him. We can have peace with him. We know that we will have eternal life and that this life is temporary and there's a much fuller and better life to come. And we will be with God, be with Jesus fully. So we have a, a certain hope in a certain future. So how does that help me now? How does that help me when I'm in the midst of pain, when I'm in the midst of How does God's love for us by sending Jesus, Jesus' life and death and resurrection, and the work of the Holy Spirit to remind me of God's love, help me when I'm in pain? Well, first you need to know that God blesses those who mourn. The Beatitudes, Jesus talks about how God cares about your suffering. Jesus, when he went to the tomb of Lazarus, wept. God cares about what you're facing. And he invites you to give all your cares to him. 
See, in the midst of suffering, I would encourage you to invite, well, first I would invite you to get help. Right? Seek help for what you're dealing with. It's okay to get help. And in the, in the midst of that, invite the Holy Spirit to give you what you need to endure, to grow in character, to grow in hope, to grow in love, an awareness of the love of God. Jesus, to make his presence known to you and the weight of the gospel and the hope we have more real to you. Invite God the Father to surrender those circumstances to him and invite him to work in your life. The other thing I would say is that you don't have to suffer alone. God gave us the church, his body, to support and encourage one another. You know, the scripture says when, we, when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. When we mourn, we mourn together. When we rejoice, we rejoice together. And so I, I think from what I've seen of, of Cornerstone, you guys are really good at encouraging and supporting one another. And keep that up. Keep praying for one another. Keep coming alongside and being a presence for one another. Show the love of, of God, the love of Christ to each other by doing that. You know, too often we, we want to solve people problems uh, when they're hurting. And sometimes, you know, suffering, we don't like to talk about it. We don't, we're afraid we might say the wrong thing or make things worse. So we avoid it. But usually all we need to do is come alongside one another and be present and support to help in ways maybe that help is needed. There's a great story in the Old Testament in Kings of when Elijah, after he had defeated the prophets of Baal, he got really depressed and went into the wilderness. And he wanted to die. And God sent an angel to intervene for Elijah. You know what that angel did? Gave him cake. What a, that's, to me, that's a great intervention. Right? <laughs> like, the angel didn't give him advice. The angel gave him cake to sustain him and said, God is waiting for you on Mount Horeb. Make your way there. Be a presence to one another. Encourage one another. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Rejoice together in all circumstances. Rejoice. We rejoice because of the gospel. We, we can rejoice in times of difficulty and suffering because of the gospel. The song we sang, Victory in Jesus, is what that's all about. We have the victory. Our hope is certain. We can rejoice in any circumstance. This is the good news of the gospel. It's God's greatest invent intervention of all time. It sustains us. It keeps us. We, nothing will separate us from God's love. So with that, I encourage you this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for your great love. 
Thank You for Your Holy Spirit that inspires us and draws us into You and into Your presence. Thank You that because of Jesus we have access to You and we have peace with You. And Lord, I just ask now that we need You, God, in some as we deal with some really heavy things and there's a lot of suffering, would you come and remind us of the victory that is ours in the midst of those things? And God, would you come and, and do miracles and be glorified? So we bless you now and we worship you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Yeah.